Well, good morning. It's good to see everyone today. The 4th of July. I mean, how can you help but love the 4th of July? Um, you know, it's on the 4th of July, the single most significant sporting event, not only in the country, but all of the world happens. Now, that's, of course, if the Chiefs aren't in the Super Bowl. If the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl, that's the most significant event of the year, right, uh, sports-wise. But, uh, but if the Chiefs would, you know, not be in the Super Bowl, it is on this day the biggest sporting event happens. You guys with me? You know what I'm talking about? I know why you're at this service and not the next one, because you want to make sure and get time, eat a quick bite, sit down in your comfortable chair at home, so you can watch this man go to work. Yeah, that's, that's Joey Chestnut. He's a household name. Joey Chestnut. He has won Nathan's hot dog eating contest. I don't know how many years in a row now, but it's been eight, nine, ten years in a row. And the standing record that he's going to be going for today is 75 hot dogs and buns in 10 minutes. So, uh, Joel, you need to work a little harder at this if you're going to be able to compete with him. So, uh, anyway, yeah, you might not want to be eating lunch while the competition is going on on your TV. You might want to either have it done or, or if it'd be a great diet plan, you know, is to watch that right before you sit down for a meal. So, anyway, that's what today holds. So, uh, right around the lunch hour or, or the hour following early this afternoon, that's when that competition goes on. But, of course, that's not the only thing big that goes on on the 4th of July. We also have a little bit of this kind of stuff going on, right? And uh, I thought, you know, I better take a quick picture last night in my front yard, you know, of some of our uh, fireworks that, that were going on. Now, just so you know, you know, it's not just all pictures about things that interest me. I, I went over to Chuck Gavin's house and took a picture of his fireworks show last night, and here's what I got. <clears throat> uh, D, that, that's as far as D will let him take fireworks. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, a lot of fireworks. You guys uh, probably went to sleep last night with the sound of fireworks, right, around your house. Uh, I know that was the case for me as well. Well, you know full well that what makes this day, you know, a special day uh, has nothing to do with Nathan hot dogs, uh, even though a lot of hot dogs will get eaten today. Um, and it has nothing to do with fireworks, even though there will be a ton of fireworks that will be fired on this day. What makes this day special is a little something that happened 245 years ago there was this little document that was created in Philadelphia. That's right. And uh, this little document, and here's kind of an image of it. Um, it the, the print is much more faded than the way it appears on this, but this is actually the, the way it appears if it weren't so faded. Um, the Declaration of Independence, it changed everything, you know, as far as this part of the world is concerned. But certainly an argument can be made that it changed the world in many respects uh, uh, with, with its creation. Uh, 
It's all about freedom. That's what the Declaration of Independence is all about. It's all about freedom. Britain was the uh, world superpower back in that day. If you know anything at all about history, you know that to be the case. They had a better military. They had more money um, than the colonies over here had. The colonies lacked a professional um, army or navy. Uh, Militiamen were lightly armed with very little training in comparison to British troops. If you were a member of the Second Continental Congress in 1776, you were, for all intents and purposes, considered a rebel and a traitor to King George III. Um, because that, that, was, that was the way when all of this played out. Um, that was certainly the result, uh, at least from their perspective. Even at the very moment that this document was created and presented there in Philadelphia, uh, there was a huge British invading fleet that was sitting just outside the New York Harbor, ready to go to work if, uh, if what they thought um, these colonists were about to do, if, if they actually indeed did it. Um, it was at that time, in, in view of all of that, that 39 signatures were added to the bottom of this. It could have been a total of 56, but there was a variety of reasons. Some of the others uh, either didn't sign because there was something else they wished had been added to it. Uh, several of them were away at, do, because of their business, their work. Uh, a couple of them, because they had very sick family members, weren't able to be there. So there were 39 of them that signed their names to this paper, which uh, was one and the same as pledging their lives and their fortunes and their homes, all for the cause of freedom. Two of these individuals that signed this would end up being eventual presidents of the United States. Three of the people that signed this ended up being vice, future vice presidents. There is one thing in this country that by and large has not changed over the last 245 years. And that is that people in this country historically have valued freedom. You know, and you see that in a major way with what happened in 1776. But we have reminders of that all over the place since that time. We value freedom in America. Our country isn't perfect. I'm not standing up here and by any means trying to claim that our country is perfect. As a matter of fact, there are uh, many of you in here that could come up with a list of things that you're not very happy about in our country right now. And I could come up with a list as well of things that I'm not very thrilled about uh, that, that are happening in our country. But there's one thing that we would all be in agreement on and we would appreciate, and that is the freedom that we have and that we have had. There are some indicators I know that, that, um, that are threatening the existence of this freedom, you know, but I think probably with every generation to one degree or another, they experience some threats to freedom. And we see some of that going on, you know, at this time as well. But all the same, you reflect on a few things. Reflect on the freedom that we have 
to do what we're doing right now. It's something so easy to take for granted. And we're able to gather in a public way like this, put a sign out front, post it and put it on online, um, sending a signal out which some are listening to us right now online. We have the freedom to do that. There are some countries that, boy, you couldn't do that. You wouldn't be able to in a public way. You, you would have to go, you know, in darkness and, and try to go to uh, um, a secret rendezvous point or something like that in some places in the world. But we have freedom in this country to be able to gather like this and to worship together. We have freedom to choose a career. At some particular point in time in your life, you made that important decision. And it's very possible that a couple years later, you remade the decision and decided to go a different direction. But that was just it. You had the freedom to change your mind and to choose what career you wanted to pursue. We have the freedom in this country to travel from state to state without having to go through a bunch of checkpoints and all of that. As a matter of fact, if you and your spouse were to decide today that you're going to go this fall out to the Northeast and see some of the changing leaf colors and, and all of that, you can make that choice. And you can do that. Shoot, if you want, you know, I know because of COVID, there's a couple of countries that wouldn't allow this. But generally speaking, you can decide to go to another country if you want whether that be just a visit or even permanently. You have the freedom to make those choices. You have the freedom to pursue education, not just during the typical time once you're done with high school, but you can choose that later down the road. Let's say you even retire and you decide, I'm going to go back to school. I've always wanted to learn more about this or that. You have the freedom to be able to do that. You have the freedom to live wherever you want to live. You know, if, if uh, you want to live in Kansas, which most everyone in here, that's a decision somewhere along the line, you make, you've got the freedom to decide that. But if you decide that you want to live in Florida, you know, we've got some folks joining us online that they made that decision a while back after they retired or maybe even before they retired, they just decided they wanted to move down to Florida. And so that's why they're watching us online. They had the freedom to make that choice. If you decide you want to go live in the northern edge of Alaska, you got the freedom. I'm not quite sure why you would want to make that decision, but, but if you make that decision, you got the freedom to be able to do that. Due to how we value freedom, there are symbols of freedom all around us. The most notable and uh, um, well-known symbol of freedom that we have is a flag, right? And there are lots and lots of Americans that proudly display their flags. You know, my dad in the home that, that uh, mom still lives in, you know, he lived there for 40 some years before he passed last year. And that was one thing you could always count on. When you would head a mile north out of Silver Lake, on the cemetery road and you would go past the cemetery road, you would see a white house on the right side of the road and there would be a flag proudly displayed in front of that house. And there are a lot of homes that, that do that and people that maybe don't do it on their home, they do it on the back of their car or on their motorcycle. They do it in their t-shirts and, and other shirts that they're wearing. 
Some people even do it as tattoos. It's a symbol of the freedom that we have in this country. We have other symbols too, like the bald eagle would be a good symbol. I, I, have art, I try to specifically remember bald eagle because I always think of Jayhawk, and I think that's a sign of freedom too. But, but uh, you know, the bald eagle, a symbol of freedom and for what it represents. A few years back, Colette and I had the opportunity to go to Washington, D.C., her family, from time to time, they would travel places. My family never traveled, but uh, that was one place that, that she had never been. Of course, I had never been, and we decided we had the opportunity, let's, let's go to D.C. and let's see some of these iconic sites that we've always heard about all through our lives. And, and so we made a trip there, and one of the things that I discovered when we were in Washington, D.C. is that there are symbols of freedom all over the place. I mean, they are all over the place. For example, one of the things that you don't really see because you can't get right up close to it, well, unless you look at the replica of it, but the actual thing, uh, it's kind of hard to get up close to because it stands proudly on top of the Capitol building in D.C. And I'm talking about, I'm talking about Lady Freedom. Lady Freedom. She was created in Rome. She stands 20 feet tall. And uh, whereas um, most women really don't want to talk about their weight, Lady Free, uh, Freedom, um, it's well published how much she weighs, 15,000 pounds, okay? And, and the story here is that there was some trouble getting her over here from Rome. They put her in a ship, and as they were traveling, they came across, you know, a pretty horrific storm. And in fact, the, some of the waves... Uh, some of the sailors considered the, the waves to have been as tall as three times the height of the ship. And so it, it was pretty treacherous. The crew was scared. The captain gave some instructions to the crew that they were to start lightening the load. And so they started throwing some of the cargo overboard. They even threw some of the food overboard as well. And eventually, as time went on, some of the crew began to cry out to the captain that uh, plead with him that, that they also be given permission to throw Lady Freedom over because she was by far the heaviest thing that was still there, 15,000 pounds. But the way that the story goes is the captain absolutely refused and he shouted back at them these words, no, never, because if we give up freedom, we give up everything. That's kind of the rest of the story behind Lady Freedom. You know, it's so easy for us to take freedom for granted. But it's symbols like this that help us, help prevent us from taking freedom for granted. They, they refresh our memory. They, they help bring it from the back of our mind to the front of our mind. You know, you can always tell how much someone values something, uh, it's, it's a pretty obvious way of telling, and that is to figure out what are they willing to pay for it. Because that really does tell the story. Whether they're buying a car, how much are they willing to pay for it? And that'll give you an indication of how much they value. Or whether you're talking about a pair of shoes, the same thing is true. 
Well, the, the 39 people that signed the Declaration of Independence, let me tell you a little bit more about their story of what they experienced following the day of signing that document. Five of them were captured by the British before they died. Twelve had their homes ransacked and burned to the ground. Two lost sons in the Revolutionary War. One had two sons that were captured by the British. Nine of them died from wounds or hardships relating to the war. One of them, a fellow by the name of Carter Braxton, was a wealthy trader and had a fleet of ships, and he saw all of his ships sunk and he died bankrupt. Another one had his wife taken captive and held prisoner for months. Some of them had to move multiple times due to the ongoing harassment of the British. A fellow by the name of John Hart was driven from his wife's bedside. She was significantly ill, um, and he, he was driven from her bedside and was in hiding for a full year. And when he finally returned, his wife was dead, his fields and his mill completely destroyed, and all 13 of his children were gone. But it doesn't end with them. I mean, they were willing to pay dearly for the freedom that they were a part of. But when we were in D.C., we went over and saw Arlington Cemetery. Some of you have been there. And it's a pretty moving experience because it just goes on and on and on. And you think about all the individuals that laid their life on the line to be able to help, you know, ensure and to preserve the freedom that we have in this country. Several years back, we were privileged to be able to take a trip that I never thought we'd be able to take. We went over into part of Europe, and Colette had, you know, a few uh, spots in mind of where she wanted to be sure and go and see and she wanted me to add to the list and and I can't really remember if I added anything to the list beyond one thing I just said I want to go to Normandy if we're going over there I want to go to Normandy and so we did and to be at Omaha Beach and to be able to see the quiet, the calm of just the, the gentle waves coming onto shore there, but thinking of what it was in 1944 that was happening in that very spot and numerous spots along the coast. And to be able to, to actually stand by and walk into some of the batteries that were there where the, the German troops were at and firing upon those that were coming on the beach. And then to, to go to the American cemetery and just acres upon acres upon acres of these headstones of people that gave their life all in the name of freedom. They paid the highest price that they could pay. You can always tell how much someone values something and what they're willing to pay for it. And freedom, down through time, many have paid the highest price possible to be able to attain it, to be able to preserve it. 
Listen, if we learn anything at all from all of this, we know that freedom is anything but free. To enjoy the freedom that we have, someone paid a price. And I believe that in honor of their sacrifice, the least that we can do is never forget that. And so when days like the 4th of July roll around or, or Memorial Day or Veterans Day, when these different days roll around, we need to reflect. Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with, with lighting a firecracker, unless you're in Johnson County. Um, there's nothing wrong with uh, burning a snake or throwing a little popper or whatever those are called. There's nothing wrong with eating a hot dog. Joel, I really wouldn't do that 75 hot dog thing if I was you. There's nothing wrong with enjoying a fireworks show on this day. But let's not allow any of that to distract us to the price that has been paid for the freedom that we have and that we cherish in this country. Now, having said all of that, I want to say this. As important as this freedom is, there's another freedom that is, that is of greater value, of far greater value. It is not limited to a country. It's not something that's found in a place as much as it is found in a person. True freedom is found in Christ. And that is the central message of this book, the Bible. True freedom is found in Christ. Early in Jesus' ministry, there's, there's a big passage. Um, although we wouldn't necessarily think of it nece necessarily as a big passage, um, as a real significant thing, but it's because of the perspective that we're looking at it from. From a Jewish perspective, this was big. One of the places that is recorded is in Luke chapter 4. Like I said, it's early in his ministry. Jesus went back to his hometown. And here's the way it reads, and I'm going to have to use three slides to show all of this. But starting in chapter 4, verse 16, we read, He came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. So this is hometown for Jesus. As usual, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it is written. Now, before I show you what it was he read from Isaiah, I want to say a word or two about this. It was common practice and courtesy in that day in synagogues when the people would gather on the Sabbath, that if you had a traveling rabbi that was there, that you would give him an opportunity to share. That he could take a passage of Scripture, which for them, the Scripture they had was what we call the Old Testament Scripture. He, he could take a passage of Scripture, and then he could elaborate. He could, he could share some insight, do a little bit of teaching. And so even though this is Jesus' hometown, in a very real sense, too, he is seen as being a rabbi, a teacher. You know, and he's traveled back. He doesn't live in Nazareth right now, but he's come back he, to pay a visit. And so they're giving him this courtesy that they would give all rabbis. 
Except on this particular occasion, I would imagine that this was a proud moment for many people that were in the synagogue because Jesus was a hometown boy. Now, he was a grown man now, but you can just imagine some of the people that had been there for a number of years that uh, they probably had smiles on their faces. This is one of our own that's teaching today. They probably stuck their chest out just a little bit more because of that sense of pride. Some of them perhaps remembered when Jesus was just a kid and he would be playing, you know, with maybe their kids or something like that. And so they had those memories to go back on. And so this was kind of a proud moment for some, if not many, of the people that were in the synagogue as Jesus got up. Now the scroll of Isaiah was given to him. And if you know anything about the different prophets' writings in the Old Testament, Isaiah is the one who has more messianic prophecies than any other of the prophets. And so sure enough, Jesus is going to read one of those messianic prophecies. What he's going to be reading is found in your Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 60, the opening verses of that chapter. All right, so here we go. He's been given the scroll of Isaiah. He's unrolled it. He's gotten to the right place, and now he reads. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. There's a whole lot packed into that statement. But uh, uh, what, what had been prophesied by by Isaiah was that when the Messiah comes, the promised one, the one that people had been looking forward to for so long, he was going to have a message of good news that he was going to deliver. He was going to proclaim freedom to the captives and sight to the blind and free the oppressed. And so here Jesus is. He's reading this particular passage. Now, people are already kind of excited you know, because it's Jesus, and boy, didn't he turn out to be a fine young man. You know, they're having those thoughts, maybe even whispering comments like that to one another. And now Jesus reads Isaiah chapter 60, and some are like, man, that's my favorite passage in the Bible. And it, this would have been, for some of them, perhaps their favorite passage of Scripture. And Jesus is reading it. Their favorite hometown boys reading this. Well, Jesus got done reading it, and then we see this. Then he rolled up the scroll. He gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. Now realize, that would have taken a minute or two to have done that, at least a minute or two. Rolling up the scroll wasn't necessarily, it's not like, you know, a book where he closed the book and handed it to the attendant. No, there's a little more involved in this because it was in scroll fashion. He rolled up the scroll. He gave it to the attendant. There was a prescribed place where that scroll was to be taken. The attendant took it over there. Meanwhile, Jesus took his seat from which he would do his teaching. And so all eyes were fixed on Jesus. You know, people loved him because he was one of them from their area. He read one of their favorite passages of scripture, and now He's going to share. And so, again, I say there's probably a number of people that got a smile on their face as they're about to hear what he's got to say. And then this is what we read. He began 
by saying to them, today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. At this particular moment in time, it's, it's, uh, there, there probably were a variety of things that were happening in the synagogue because there were a variety of different reactions. There probably was a few people that uh, hearing aids hadn't been invented yet that I know of at that time. There's probably a few people that leaned over to the person next to him and said, what did he say? You know, like, there's no way I could have understood or he could have said what I thought he, I understood that he said. So they're asking for clarification from someone else. What did he say? And then there were probably other people that their jaw drops, the smile is gone, like, because you see, what he's doing is he's saying, I am the fulfillment of that. I am the one that's going to give sight to the blind. I am the one that's going to set the captives free. He was claiming to be the Messiah. And again, a number of these people, they would have known him, you know, from years back when he was younger and he was growing up. But now, you know, he's like 30 or so and, uh, and has such a promising future. But whoa, back this up. What did he just say? It would have been something that would have been hard for some of them to accept. Setting the captives free. I mean, is he planning a jailbreak or something? Or what's going on here? What is he claiming? Let me take you to a passage in John's gospel that perhaps is one of the clearer passages of scripture that talks about um, the kind of bondage that Jesus is referencing. It's found in John chapter 8. And here's the way the beginning of the passage reads. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Okay, so he's, he's, he's talking about continuing in my word. That means you'll be my students, my followers, my disciples. And not only will you know the truth, but it'll set you free. The people react, at least some of them on that occasion reacted, and said, we are descendants of Abraham. And we've never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Now, on the one hand, it'd be easy to start arguing and saying, whoa, they've got a short memory. Wasn't it the Hebrew people that were enslaved for hundreds of years in Egypt? You know, I mean, they're saying we, we've, we've never been, you know, enslaved to anyone. Well, I mean, that clearly is not to be literally understood, Right? Perhaps what they were actually saying is we ourselves personally have not been enslaved. So you're talking to us about being set free. Well, we don't need to be set free because we ourselves have not been prisoners. Yeah, they live in an occupied country because of Rome, but, but it's not quite the same as being enslaved. Now look at where Jesus takes us. Jesus responds, I assure you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a slave or a son does remain forever. Therefore, if the son sets you free, you really will be free. You see, Jesus isn't talking about to an invading force. 
you know, as far as being enslaved. He's talking about sin. He's talking about the bondage of sin and what happens with everyone who sins, which quite frankly involved everybody that was listening to him on that day. It involved everybody in the previous passage that was in that synagogue. It involves everybody that's in this room today or listening online right now. We all have found ourselves in bondage to sin because the reality of the matter is we all have sinned. There's only one person that's ever lived a life that never sinned, and that was Jesus. And that very well is what qualified him to be able to offer the ultimate sacrifice when the time came for that. But this is what Jesus is talking about being set free from the bondage of sin. And if you look at the very tail end of verse 36, he says, you really will be free, really free. Another translation says, free indeed. Another one says, absolutely free. Another translation uh, that I looked at says, truly free. And one last one says, free through and through. In other words, there's none of this halfway stuff going on. Jesus did not set come to set people mostly free from sin, but it is completely free through and through. This is what Jesus going to the cross was all about. This is why when Jesus was warned when he was getting ready to head back to Jerusalem before the Passover that people were like, uh-uh, that's not a good idea, but Jesus went ahead and went anyway. This is why when Peter pulled out his knife and was going to do whatever he possibly could do to stop the arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus stopped Peter from doing what he was doing because Jesus knew this needs to happen. This was the very reason that he had stepped out of heaven, took on human flesh, and lived here among us so that ultimately he could do the very thing he was preparing to do is to pay that ultimate sacrifice that would make it possible for us to be set free from the bondage of sin. No wonder later Paul said a few years later these words in Romans chapter 8 verse 1. He says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because we've been set free. If you are in Christ Jesus, then you've been set free. And that's why Paul says this. There's no need for us to fear death any longer. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 2 of that book, he um, explains that. We don't need to fear death anymore. We don't need to fear judgment day. That's why you'll find a verse in the Bible that talks about how we can have confidence as we approach judgment day. We don't need to fear hell. Hell is a reality, but it need not be something that, that we fear in Christ because we've been set free from sin. You look at another verse of Paul's in chapter 6, verse 23. It says this in the God's Word translation. The payment for sin is death. Okay, that's the consequences of, of sin. And that's not talking about physical death just as in your heart stops beating. This is talking about eternal death. The payment for sin is death, but the gift that God freely gives 
is everlasting life found in Christ Jesus our Lord. So the results and the consequences of sin is spiritual death. But the gift that God extends through Christ is everlasting life. Boy, that should be music to our ears, what that verse is saying. And I do want to make this very clear. We are talking about a free gift. It's free, but it isn't cheap because it costs God dearly. This is what sending Jesus into this world was all about. This is what Calvary was all about. The flogging, the whole bit. The death, the burial, that's what it was all about. Like I said earlier, you can always tell how much someone values something based on what they're willing to pay for it. And you look at what God was willing to pay to be able to set you free from sin. I want to kind of wrap up the message by telling you a story. It's a very unusual story. It's unusual because I don't know that there's another story like it. It's unique. And you have to go back in time, not quite 200 years ago. 1829 is when this story begins. It's a story involving two guys that were literally partners in crime. One of them, his name was George Wilson. The other one, his name was James Porter. And they worked together to rob a U.S. mail carrier. 1829. That's pretty serious stuff to do that and what was involved in doing that. They subsequently were caught, and in 1830, they were found guilty on six charges. And upon those charges, they carried the penalty of death, which the form of capital punishment at that time was hanging a person. And they didn't waste a whole lot of time. It was on July 2nd that James Porter was hung, sentence was carried out, and he was executed for his crime that had been committed not too much earlier, the previous year, basically. But with George Wilson, the story was a little bit different because he had some influential friends, apparently. There were some people that that knew George and they spoke on his behalf and they had direct connections with um, no less the president of the United States, Andrew Jackson. And they pled his case to Andrew Jackson and the president extended a pardon for George Wilson so that he would not be executed. But there was one problem with all of that. He refused it. Here this pardon was being given to him, and he refused it. He didn't want to take it. So they tried to enforce this, because this was such a strange thing. They hadn't had to do this before. They tried to enforce it through the courts, and that didn't work. They weren't able to get anywhere with it. And eventually, it went to the Supreme Court, 
And the Supreme Court ruled that a pardon couldn't be forced upon a person that would not accept it. You could not enforce it. Now, a lot of people have speculated as to why he didn't accept it, you know, because he never did give an explanation. And eventually, the sentence was carried out, and he was executed. But he never told why he refused it. And so, all there is is speculation, both from that time period, but also for, uh, during the years following that time. Some are, have argued that he refused it because he was too proud. He didn't want a handout, and that was why he said no. Some say maybe uh, he didn't think it was genuine, a rouge of some type, and so that's why he said no. Some say that the reason he said no was because he really felt that he deserved the death penalty involved in what he, because of what he did, and so he, he needed to pay for his crimes. And then, of course, there were some that actually made this argument that the reason that he refused it is because he had never voted for Andrew Jackson to begin with, and he hated the president. And so he wasn't going to take anything from him. But the reality of the matter is we don't know exactly why. All we know is that George Wilson in 1830 refused the pardon that was extended to him. And as a result, he ended up being executed. And I tell that story to say this. Don't let that be your story. Because the reality of the matter is, there is a pardon available for you. And God went to great length in order to secure this pardon and the sending of his son Jesus to die such a cruel death in the way that he did. And, of course, on the third day, he rose again. But all of that was in order to make it possible for you to be set free from your bondage of sin and not to have to pay the consequences for sin. But don't pull a George Wilson for whatever reason. Maybe pride. Maybe that really was what was behind it or, or maybe that potentially is what's behind it today with some people. They don't want any handouts from God. And so pride gets in the way. And they will be eternally regretful of that if that be the case. Maybe for some people it's the way they view themselves in view of some of the misdeeds in their past. They really, truly, truly do not think they are deserving of forgiveness and a home in heaven and all of that kind of stuff. And so that's why they don't accept what is being offered to them is because they truly have a sense of being undeserving. The reality of the matter is all of us are undeserving. There isn't a single one of us in this room or listening online or in the previous service or in the later service. There's not a single person who is deserving of the forgiveness that is possible through Jesus Christ. I mean, no matter how hard a person would try and work at it, there's not a one of us that could ever be deserving of one drop of blood that came from Jesus 
through his crucifixion. Don't let pride and don't let a sense of not deserving it. Because what is driving all of this is the grace of God. Where he loves us more than than we'll ever be able to imagine in this lifetime. We'll never be able to fully comprehend his love. In fact, we'll spend eternity just kind of basking in the glory of the love of God and trying to wrap our mind around it. Though we can't truly fully understand it, we can certainly enjoy it and appreciate it. A person needs to accept what is being offered to them. If you're here today, one thing I do know, and I know that you're a sinner, because that is the case with all of us. All of us have sinned. But the thing that I may not know is what have you done with what has been offered to you through our Lord? He went to great length to secure through his death, burial, and resurrection. Have you accepted it? If you haven't, you need to if you ever hope to be set free from sin. We're going to have our time of communion, and you should have your communion cups with you. If not, uh, here you can get up and maybe on the back table or just out in the entry area, you can find one. And allow this to be a time as you take the bread and you eat it that you are reminded of the body of Jesus. You take the cup and you drink it and you're reminded of the blood that was shed on your behalf and the love that was driving all of that. Might this be a time where we don't take for granted the freedom we have in Christ, but we move it from the back of our mind to the forefront of our mind. We're very intentional about doing this every week around here because we want to keep this fresh in our mind. What God was willing to do for us we owe him everything as a result. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your love and for the freedom that we can have through your gracious, generous gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Forgive us for the times we take it for granted. Forgive us for when we think of sin lightly and, and kind of kick it to the side thinking it's really no big deal. But Lord, during a time like this, I pray that you would remind us that actually it is a big deal because of what it took for us to be forgiven. Thank you, Lord, for your love. We celebrate your love. We enjoy the freedoms we have in this country. But even more, we celebrate the freedom we have in Christ. He indeed has set the captives free. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.